I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast, a podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. Darren Hinch, welcome to That's Life and well Darren Hinch, welcome to That's Life and welcome to 2022. Happy New Year. Yeah, happy New Year to you guys too. Yeah, 2022. It feels like it's months old already. Well, it's um, only weeks in and yeah. it does. A lot of things have happened. By the way, what were you doing on New Year's Eve? Uh, I was in bed by 9.15, sound asleep. I, I'll quickly tell you, I had the most wonderful holiday and break. I did a lot of re-reading. I did a lot of writing. I finished my diet book, finished writing that. But I was on a, I kept it quiet until the day I left. I was on a 60-acre farm uh, at, just outside of, um, it, it, just outside of um, uh, Oakdale. It was at Oakdale, just outside of Camden in New South Wales. 60-acre farm impeccably kept for once an airbnb place was even better than they promised and we had a 60 acre farm we had kangaroos and wombats and cows and horses and bulls and i fed the fish and i fed the chooks and i fed the roosters and went on a lot of goya walks and actually lost weight over christmas new year we had a full-size swimming pool as well which didn't hurt and we were miles away as the awful figures started coming through about covid well, it sounds uh, very, very relaxing. What about Christmas, uh, Christmas Day? What, what... Yeah, I was there for the same, we were there the same thing, you know, and, and Linda, of course, is a vegan. So for nine days, I, I ate uh, vegan and vegetarian, and it, it's fine. I, it, it, it felt good. We, we had some beautiful food, and uh, they make, you know, mock meat roasts and uh, your roast potatoes, and I had lots of salads, ate lots of fruit, lots of mango and blueberries and strawberries and... Yeah, it was pretty good. Well, it sounds like a very healthy, uh, happy holidays, as the it Americans was. say. Happy, happy holidays. holidays. The American accent, uh, just quickly, Darren, can you pick where someone comes from in America as soon as they open their mouth? Uh, not much. I can I can pick if you come from New Jersey. Um, Jackie Weaver was told she has the most impeccable ear for accents. Um, she was in um, Silver Linings Playbook where she had to play a... Uh, a Philadelphian, where they have a, a team, football team called the Eagles, but they call them the Eagles. Um, and she could pick up on that. She does a southern accent like you wouldn't believe, to the extent that one day she was accused of, of mocking an Australian. I told the story once before. She was mocking an Australian because somebody said, wasn't it disgusting the way she was taking off your Australian accent? And they said, well, she is an Australian. She is Australian. They said, no, she, this is an issue. She was doing a film with Woody Allen. And they said, no, she's not. She's American. Um, is there and, an American accent that you, uh, you, you know, you like the most uh, or one that you don't like? Well, the New York accent is, is especially New York cab drivers, is a, is a weird one, you know. Uh, you get used to it. I, I like Southern accents, you know. I, I find them quite lilting and... Uh, and quite affectionate, you know. Um, I can tell you a dirty story about that. Um, um, <laughs> I probably shouldn't, first time of the year. Um, a couple of old Southern bells are rocking on the balcony in their rocking chairs, right? And uh, one said uh, to the other one, do you remember the minuet? You know that, the dance? Yeah. Have you heard of that? Yeah, mm. you, one says, in a draw, which I won't attempt, do you remember the min, min, minuet? She said, hell no, I don't even remember when I fucked. 
Uh, there you go. Well, that's a wonderful way to start 2022. <laughs> all right, let's get uh, on to the news, huh? Well, the news uh, is all about tennis and all about uh, COVID and all about Jovac, Jovac Nokov, Novak Jokovic. Oh, Novak Novak Nokovic, as we call him. <laughs> Jokovic, as we now call him. A couple of things, in my view. One is that um, it's your personal responsibility to get, you get your visa right. Um, you, so it's, it's on his shoulders he came here with the wrong visa or wrong information or whatever. I mean, I once spent six hours in a tin shed, a green tin shed in Brazil, because I didn't have my visa right to get into Rio de Janeiro. So that's your call. But um, cricket, uh, sorry, Tennis Australia made some terrible calls. And they, you saw some of the mail that's come out since this all happened. And they do say you might get an exemption with this or with that. Then you've got other letters that have come out in the last couple of weeks showing that he did seem to have permission from the, the, the federal government to uh, to come to Australia, that he did have permission. But the thing that's bugging me, and this will, will have been all overtaken, he now claims he, according to his lawyers, he had, um, he had uh, uh, COVID on December 16, which would make him in the six-month period where you are allowed to, you know, be unvaccinated. But we've seen photographs of him surrounded by kids in Serbia on December 17, with, with no mask and no protections at all. So that part perturbs me was, did he have COVID and not tell anybody and still travel the world? Did he get on a plane coming to Australia with COVID? It's, he doesn't come out of this well. Well, the federal government has released letters that they sent to Tennis Australia saying that even if someone had COVID, they don't regard that as enough to be able to enter Australia. This, these and, are and that, and that was in, And that was, they were, those two letters were in November, mm. weren't they? So, so like I said, Tennis Australia is looking good. I think the grovelling letter to the um, health authorities saying that, you know, these players like, without mentioning my name, but players like Djokovic have to come here. The the Australian Open depends on it. Well, the health of Australia depends on other things, not bloody tennis. Well, there's also an issue of fairness and uh, how people, just average people, they don't like it when, uh, you know, important, but well, important, I don't even like that word either, but when, when notor notorious people get privileged treatment. Now, I said on Twitter, uh, you know, if, you, if you're feeling sorry for Novak Djokovic and the way he's being treated, you, you know, spare a thought for the family in Warrnambool who lost their young son on a school camp when uh, he died, drowning, I think it was, and uh, only 10 people could go to his funeral because rules are rules. Uh, yeah, and all, you, I think you're 1,000% right there. The other thing is, I mean, since he was um, detained... He hasn't gone well. I mean, he's apparently, according to the reports, he asked for his private chef to prepare his food, and that was rejected. He asked to be moved to a different hotel. That was rejected. What it does bring into the spotlight, uh, because he's famous, is the conditions that those other people, re refugees, um, have been living in at that hotel in Melbourne for so long. I mean, it, 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 it looks like a prison cell. It ain't happy. It ain't, it ain't friendly. It's the Park Hotel... 
I think it's the continuation of Swanston Street in Carlton there, near the Melbourne uh, University. I've, I've driven true. past there quite often. It seems like a reasonable building from the outside. I've never been in, but when a hotel room is a hotel room, Darren. It's it's yeah, not a big no, room. No, 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 but it's, you can get a five-star hotel room, which Djokovic will be used to, and then you get a hotel room. I've seen photos since then of that place, and inside it's just like a bed and a toilet and not much else. What do you make of the reaction when he posted on Instagram that he was uh, he was coming, you know, with a photograph of him smiling, you know, with hand on his bags that looked like he was at an airport somewhere? I, I, I think they should, should have turned him straight around and shot him home. I mean, it happened to Molly Meldrum. It happens all the time. Remember Molly went to LA with all the right papers and for some reason it didn't work and he, they put him on a plane home again. And I said, I've been, I've been trapped and being checked out because I had had the wrong wrong papers at one stage. It's just your responsibility to, to know that you can get in somewhere. And I don't give a damn about the tennis in the end. And I think if he did get to play, he will be booed. He will be jeered and booed. There's uh, talk that the federal government uh, appeared to be reacting to the reaction of the Australian people when it came through that uh, Djokovic was playing. The, the angry reaction. I mean, anyone, I'm sure, I mean, I thought if he plays, there's going to be a very bad reaction to this because people, well, particularly here in Victoria, had a terrible two years. Yeah, but if you can't get in to watch <clears throat> the bloody tennis without vac being vaccinated, why should he be allowed to play? And they've sent some female um, player home because her papers weren't in order and that didn't get much, much attention. That was a, a few days ago and she got, got the flick. How she got in with it and then had to be redone i don't know do you think there might have been a change of mind from the federal government given the reaction oh well i think they're following what the public wanted but surely they'd re they would they would expect that wouldn't they i mean my immediate reaction was he shouldn't be here uh, dan andrews last year said you know tennis player or not you're not vaccinated you don't get here somehow he got here and um, i i have no sympathy for the man i really don't remember that he um that he was strutting around and being an anti-vaxxer for some time. He had a tournament about eight months ago, remember, in Europe, and that became a super spreader. Uh, I, um, he, he doesn't say he's an anti-vaxxer, but he certainly behaves that way. And then, of course, this come at the same time, he had Pat Cash saying, I'm not getting vaccinated because I'm very fit. I liked a comment by Rafael Nadal a couple of mm. days ago where he was at a media conference and he said, uh, I listen to people who know about this sort of stuff, the doctors, uh, <laughs> which seemed like a logical thing to say. I thought I thought his comments were very measured and very straight and 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 honest and and responsible. What about the Victorian government in all this, uh, Darren? They, they set up uh, well, the Victorian Health Department set up a panel. It was all supposed to have been done anonymously. They didn't know who they were looking at here. And, uh, you know, they gave uh, him the, the go-ahead to, to go into the tournament. I always thought it was weird. He, he couldn't come into Australia because his documentation wasn't right, but he can go into Melbourne Park and play tennis. How does yeah, that work? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And that's what has upset people so much. I mean, the, the holes in this has been a piece of Swiss cheese for, for weeks now, and eventually... Some of it will have come out, we don't know yet because the court case will be after we record this. But um, a lot of people don't come out with, with, with much, you know, much glory here. Tennis Australia certainly doesn't. And as I said before, it doesn't make sense that you can 
be exempt to play in a tournament that I can't go in and watch unless I'm double vaccinated. It just doesn't make sense to me. And uh, for them to grovel and try and preserve the Australian Open against everything, when we're going through the worst time, health time in 100 years, I, I find uh, despicable. There are some people saying this is all very embarrassing for Australia on the world stage, that people are going to look at us and think, uh, you know, how stupid our political leaders are. Do you know what? I think, I said on Sunrise recently, I think the exact opposite. I think people will say Australia's being tough on people who are breaking the rules. And in a pandemic, that's what you have to do. I don't think, I don't give a damn if some Serbian president causes this and causes that, or if Djokovic's parents say he's living in a prison, which is rubbish, we know that. Um... I think the Australia's coming out of this looking pretty strong. It's um, we will not tolerate this. Well, the family held a, a, a bit of a weird media conference the other day where they, they said he was yeah. being held a hostage and uh, Novak is the leader of, uh, you know, the free world or something, stuff like that. It was just exaggerated uh, stupidity, really, is what I thought. It was. It, I, I agree. And I mean, here's a guy who's a multi, multi millionaire and uh, demanding that he should be allowed to have his private chef uh, while he's in detention. I mean, if he doesn't like it that much, go home. It's on your bike and go home. Darren, uh, yeah. we've had way figures that uh, just uh, astound me, the number of people that are testing positive. And it's now at a level where the, the, you, you, the PCR testing uh, can't keep up. So we're, we're doing this rapid testing and, and I think, uh, you know, 50,000 people in one day, even higher, uh, not just in Victoria, but in, in New South Wales. Um, where does it all go from, from here? Well, look, rats is interesting <laughs> because... Um, the governments, New South Wales and Victoria especially, and the federal government, are relying on people to report they've got it. Uh, if you're at home and you've got aid, if you've got um, you know COVID nineteen through a rat through a rat test, because the plural is a, it's a anyway, um, a lot of people aren't going to tell anybody. And that's what worries me, because if we've got 50,000 cases, there may be another 15,000 people out there who've had a rat and they um, aren't going to tell anybody about it. They just may just quietly stay home. Hope they stay home. Yeah, do, do you think it's been handled well? Do, do you think... Uh, uh, the, Not the... at all. The federal government has stuffed us up. I mean, you've got state governments ordering millions and millions of, of rat tests. It's hard not to say rat tests, isn't it? It'd be, it's like ATM machines. Um, you've got millions and millions of state governments are taking on the, on, on the responsibility here which the federal government could have done, should have done months ago. This is this is a, a federal government stuff up as well, and they can try and flick past it to the states, but the states at least are saying, well, it ain't happening federally, so we better do it ourselves. And they're talking things like 50 to 100 million cases. Well, the, the thing is, the, the state government here in Victoria didn't even... Uh, uh, they they were d discounting the the rats tests only a couple yeah. of months ago. It was the opposition that was pushing the uh, rapid antigen test? I remember Andrew saying, uh, you know, he they weren't accurate, and uh, so this was only a couple of months ago. Um, w would there be an argument to say that the federal government was relying on the states to do the PCR testing, but that's just gone out of control to an extent that no one predicted, or should they have predicted it? Well, well, two th 
things here. One, how would you feel if you sat in a bloody queue for six hours to get tested, and then yesterday you get a text message saying, oh, your test is too old, do it again. That is happening. You know, people are told their tests were too old to be, um, to be analysed. Well, we had a bloke at work who was tested about 10 days ago and still hasn't got his result. Now, he's been not working for that long, waiting for his test, and, and he's probably one of these people who's now his test is not, not relevant anymore. Mm-hmm. So this is happening across the economy, not just in our workplace, but uh, uh, in all sorts of areas, and it's creating problems. I mean, obviously, if you're a nurse and you're sidelined, mm-hmm. If you're working in a supermarket and you're sidelined, things aren't getting done that should be getting done. So if this keeps going, we're going to have real issues. Yeah, and you're already seeing empty supermarket shelves of vegetables and stuff like that because truck drivers aren't delivering as much and as fast as they should do. The federal government must have known months ago about RAT because the very first one, I'm told, was being made in Australia and has now been given away for free in the United States. So RAT is being made here and sent overseas. Now, the, the federal government must have known, should have known, and they, I believe they have dropped the ball on this. Well, again, they've tried to uh, push it back on the states. And all this comes around with this, I don't know who started this let her rip thing, but it certainly hasn't worked, has it? Well, the good thing is that we're not seeing huge numbers Go to hot, given the you know when you've got thousands and thousands of cases, the percentage of people going to hospital is not that large. Uh, thank that is, goodness. That is true. But, but remember, when Scott Morrison scoffed at the Doherty report that there might be twenty five thousand cases in a week, we've got we've got we're getting more than that in a day. By but the way, do, do you know any? Do you know anybody who's positive or has been positive? Because uh, yes, I, I know do quite now. a few people now. Yeah, I do now. And uh, I had a, some worrying times on my holiday I mentioned up in the country New South Wales. I'm up there a lot, uh, with only four of us, all vaccinated, and we're out in miles in the country. I didn't have any trans, any car, and I discovered that one of my colleagues um, had tested positive, and I had lunched with him the day before I went to New South Wales. And luckily, we we lunched outside and then uh, and we sat outside the whole time. But he was positive. His brother's positive. His father's positive. Um, Ruth Ruth Stanfield, one of my staff, she did a test and was tested negative. And then Annette Philpot, another one, tested negative. So they were the other two people there apart from me. I couldn't test anywhere. I'm in, I'm in country New South Wales. But this is by the time I found out. It was about four or five, six days later. And I'd had absolutely no no symptoms at all, not a sniffly nose, nothing. So I felt quite confident that I didn't have it, and uh, and 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 I've, I've remained clean, which is lucky because uh, I've travelled a bit and I I'm travelling again uh, this month. But I've I've been out and bought myself more expensive um, cloth um, masks, you know, and. Uh, I was going to wear two, but I, and I wear them diligently on the plane and at airports and things like that. And I'm very careful uh, not to go out to restaurants or places like that in, uh, in in Sydney when I'm up there. So on business, but uh, yeah, I, I do know some people. I know three, probably about five people I know who've had it, got it. 
My youngest son, uh, Marcus, he went to a uh, music festival near Hamilton for a New Year period, uh, came back, started getting a runny nose, did a rapid antigen test and he's positive. He had a bit of a temperature and uh, I think he's a bit better now, he says. But um, So, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're probably all eventually going to get it, uh, Darren. You're triple vaccinated, so you've, uh, yeah. you've taken really good precautions. I'm about to be triple vaccinated actually today. When I leave here, I'm going to go and get triple vaxxed. Uh, but you know what gets, what gets me about all this? Another, you call the sideline, but it's very important. People, I've been going on this for years on radio. I hate the term elective surgery. All right, it's not elective; it's not emergency. Okay, people are having operations delayed by months because COVID has taken over from everything else. If you have such pain, you need your hip replaced. That's not elective surgery. That's non-emergency surgery. And yet you're being told you can't have it for another six months, or another nine months. Or you've got, you can't move your hand because you've got some sort of problem with that. Or, you, you know, you've got foot problems. There are people who are having their operations delayed by months, possibly even years. And the waiting time was years anyway. And I really feel for them because they are being treated like second-class citizens. Well, it's not just that, but if you're calling an ambulance, I don't know what it's like in the rest of Australia. We live in Victoria, so I watch what happens here. Um, uh, there have been times over the past couple of weeks where they've uh, implemented this code red, which People are waiting two hours for an ambulance. Yeah, which means that you, you ring an ambulance, they're not, not going to come. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's a, so, so if you have a, a cardiac arrest or something like that, which can happen to anyone, any of us, at any time, you expect that when you ring triple zero that an ambulance is going to come in good time to give you a bit of a fighting chance. You, you know, can't Tony, guarantee that now. No, no, and you know, Tony, that is anathema to every ambulance driver in Australia. You know, they get the call, they want to go. And to have them having being delayed for one hour, two hours, it's just against everything every AMBO stands for. I know that. Darren, have you been watching the cricket in the past couple a little, of A little weeks? bit, a little bit, yes, I have. I, I did do a tweet saying, why do test cricketers fidget with their <laughs> private parts more than anybody <laughs> in the world? Ian Chappell was one of the guys. Uh, he used to always be, you know, clutching at his box every every, every chance he got. And, and I remember Alan McGilray said he told him once. He said, "Does he realise how bad that?" But it's a habit, I guess. But you know, well, Lily, like, well, like 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 Raphael Nadal picking his bum before he <laughs> serves all the time. Look, I've worn a box. Understandably, you're playing cricket, um, and it's uncomfortable. But they just—it seems to be a just a, a, a nervous habit, you know. I don't know if you've heard of the David Lloyd story, um, Bumble, they call him. Uh, no. he, he, he played um, for England in the 1974-75 series uh, against Australia, against Lillian Thompson. And uh, you can go on YouTube and see it. Uh, Thompson hit him uh, right in the box. <laughs> And he went down, he reckons, like a sack of potatoes. I bet. And he said, uh, in those days, the boxes were plastic, like soap holders, but little breathing holes in them. And he said, everything that should have been on one side went into the, <laughs> the other side. <laughs> and he said, when he went to the hospital, he said to the doctor, doctor, can you take away the pain but leave the swelling? <laughs> <laughs> and he reckons, every year... 
on that day, he loses his voice no matter where he is around the world. <laughs> That's very funny. Well, it's not only sportsmen. Uh, politicians have been known to uh, fiddle with themselves as well. To the extent, the, the one I know uh, who was notorious for it was Lyndon Johnson. <laughs> he would, well, he, well, he used to dictate letters to his secretary while he was sitting on the dunny, so nothing should surprise you. <laughs> right? But he, he used to play with himself, fiddle with himself at press conferences to the extent that one day the Washington Post had had enough and they ran a story and it said, the president handled himself very well today. <laughs> He was a bit of a, a, a pants man, wasn't he, Lyndon Johnson, oh, yeah. from what I've he heard? Was. He had some great comments. So, being a southerner, you know, uh, he said things like, don't spit in the soup, we all got to eat. <laughs> yeah, well, he'd, he'd prefer to be in the tent pissing out than uh, outside the yeah, tent outside pissing, pissing in. in. Yeah, I've actually, uh, once for a story for the Sydney Morning Herald, I once drove to his his farm in Texas and uh, and... And I got followed by Secret Service men in the end, but I drove by this magnificent farm that he and Ladybird had in, in Texas. And uh, they used to call him Landslide Linden when he first got elected to the Senate because he won by 89 votes. And they reckon 90 of them were <laughs> from the cemetery. <laughs> and, uh. you know, and it, it, from that old Joseph Kennedy thing saying, you know, don't 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 bribe. Don't pay for one more vote than we need. You know, sort of thing. But he, I mean, but in the end, and to his credit, he got through civil rights material that um, John Kennedy couldn't have got through. He was a, a master of working the House and the Senate, and he got through the civil rights material that uh, that became the, the the mainstream for America which was JFK, his predecessor, wouldn't have got through. And speaking of which, we've still got, we've got, still got time. Yep. Sidney Poitier. Well, yeah, um, I was going to talk to him, uh, talk about him at our, in our next podcast. But, well, um, let's do that because I've, I've got a lot of stuff I want to talk to him about. And must be must be almost running out of time. Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're not, not quite. But uh, I just uh, on on the uh, Lyndon Johnson. Uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, when I when I go to America next, one thing I would like to do is go to as many presidential libraries as I mm-hmm. can. Um, I often go on YouTube and uh, look at stuff that's at the Nixon Presidential Library. Uh, he was in California. What was the True. Uh, uh, what was the place he came from? Um, very uh, small uh, town. Uh, in yeah, but, but, but his, his White House was, I think, San Clemente, I think it was. Uh, it was a particularly little town where, where yeah. he was born. Uh, oh, Yoboken, not Yoboken, that's in... Um, uh, uh, New Jersey. New Jersey, yeah. Uh, very I small town anyway. Yeah, I can't remember that, yeah. He was, he was, you know what, the thing that Richard Nixon... Um, we get her on tangent. Your Belinda, your Belinda, California. Your Belinda, okay. yeah. He 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 never accepted that he'd beaten the Kennedys. That he was actually the president. He was obsessed with the Kennedys because he got beaten by JFK in nineteen sixty. Uh, then he then he became when he became president, he was still obsessed with with with, with the Kennedy, the remaining Kennedys. He he never really thought, hey, I got here, I'm president. He was always felt a touch unworthy, and you know, only. Uh, it was it was a really deep insecurities man. that uh, that, that oh, he had. Huge. The, the and thing about and during Vietnam, of course, the last days, and Henry Kissinger wrote about this that um, that uh, Nixon got on the piss, was on his hands and knees and crying in the White House, you know, from 
to see the the, the leader of the free world in that situation um, crying crying drunk on the, on the on his knees at the White House. Yeah. I, I love the way though the Americans uh, revere their their leaders with presidential yes. libraries. We we don't do that here in Australia, and we should. I mean, we pull down houses that were owned by you yeah. know Robert uh, Menzies and and other people as as if. I, I agree with that, and also I. I have a thing about, I mean, even if I don't like a Prime Minister, I won't do what some journos do, like Mike Carlton and, and degrade them and use terribly insulting words. When I was on radio, I would always refer to them as Mr. Prime Minister. It was a thing, I guess, from coming from America, Mr. President, you know. And I would, in interviews, even, even if the interview got a bit disrespectful on both sides, I would always say, now, Mr. Prime Minister, even if I, I only had one who was really a friend, that was Andrew Peacock, who was not a Prime Minister, but a leader of a party. Uh, I just think you owe the office a bit of respect. The same way I got so angry when these assholes burned down the front door of the old Parliament House. Well, we're going to talk about that, that too in our next uh, podcast. <laughs> that, that that is that is our history. Yes, and and, and and for a Greens candidate to gloat about it, a Greens senator to gloat yeah. about the fact that somebody set fire to our Parliament House door is a bloody disgrace. Yeah, well, we're going to get into that in the next podcast. Right. You're, you're nobbling the future there, <laughs> Mr Hinch. <laughs> we uh, have so much to talk about. We've been off air for a couple of weeks. Yeah, we have. Uh, Darren Hinch, Talk Happy soon. New Year again, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye, mate.